We're going to be in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 today, continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. We've got a few more weeks in this book, and then we will break and do a four-week Christmas series. And then in the spring, we are going to tackle Genesis. So have, y'all, have any of y'all ever, I guess, preached or, or sat under preaching through the book of Genesis? All right, well, we're going we're gonna to tackle it in the spring. I'm excited to see uh, just what that unfolds, laying that foundation uh, from the very first book of the Bible. But today, as we move into this section of Ephesians, I want to remind us of Paul's flow through the book so far. As you may remember, last spring we worked through Ephesians 1 through 3, where Paul gave us these incredible truths of who we are in Christ Jesus. And he's, he's been working now over the past two chapters, in chapters 4 and 5, of now laying out how we live in light of who we are in Christ, specifically encouraging us to walk in certain ways. And now, as we go into 522, Into chapter 6, what we're going to see is he's going to apply this to very specific relationships that we have within the body of Christ. He's just commanded us, as you will remember from, from last week, that we're to be filled with the Spirit. This is what he says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And then we saw last week these characteristics of one who's filled Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing to the Lord. Giving thanks to God. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So over the next, over the next four weeks, or sorry, over the next three weeks, four weeks, four weeks, yes, we are going to see how being filled with the Spirit dictates how we actually live in relationship with one another. You see, verse 21 is that connector verse. He now moves into wives and husbands, and then he's going to go into children and parents, and then he's going into slaves and masters. Bridging from verse 18, I think a way to to characterize these next few weeks is really spirit-filled living. From spirit-filled wives, spirit-filled husbands, spirit-filled children, Spirit-filled parents, spirit-filled slaves, and spirit-filled masters. We see spirit-filled living played out in our lives. And then one of the incredible things that Paul really wraps up Ephesians with, after he's told us, be filled with the Spirit, and this is what it looks like in all of these different relationships, he then goes... And beware or or caution or warning that we're in spiritual warfare. This is why we live spirit-filled lives so that we can combat the spiritual darkness that is around us. All of life is lived being spirit-filled because we are in war. And this spiritual warfare that we battle daily takes place most visibly in our everyday relationships, in our marriages, in our families, at work. This is where Satan likes to cause conflict, cause bitterness, cause anger. Be spirit-filled. 
that we may stand firm and persevere in the faith. So yes, that's a little context, but today we're going to look at the first relationship Paul mentions, marriage. Verses 22 to 33, he is going to give us a beautiful picture of marriage. And we desire at King's Church to be a church that upholds God's design of marriage. We want to celebrate God's plan from the beginning as he created male and female. We're going to spend two weeks looking at spirit-filled marriages. This week, we're going to lay the foundation of the analogy, the picture that Paul paints of of Christ and the church, and also look at spirit-filled wives. And then next week, we'll turn our attention to the husbands. I want to encourage you, please do not tune out if you're not married. This is important for us. All of us in the body of Christ, we, we want to dwell and we want to be amazed at the picture of Christ and the church in this passage. You see, Paul is pointing to us, pointing us to something that's forever. It's eternal. The greater marriage here is Christ and the church, and that's something we get to enjoy for eternity. But we also want to have a healthy view of marriage in our congregation. Whether you're single, maybe divorced, widowed, or married, we want to have a rich view of marriage that comes from the Bible and not our world. Our view of marriage is so much bigger than just two people spending this life together. God designed marriage to point to something far greater. As one pastor comments, marriage is to be a reflection of the saving love of God for us in Jesus Christ. This is what marriage is. Paul here is even going to tell us that it's a profound mystery. Our passage today is vital for us to to understand how to live in light of marriages in our church as husbands, wives, and as just congregants. It will reveal to us in this passage today the beauty of Jesus and his desire for the church, his bride. We're going to lay a foundation that will hopefully draw our gaze upon Christ Jesus and in so doing give us a better understanding of marriage. So first, what we want to do is is we want to look at the picture Paul paints for us of who Jesus is, and then we're going to zoom in on his, his exhortation to wives, and then next week we will zoom in to his exhortation of husbands. Our big idea for the next two weeks is spirit-filled marriages reflect the bride of Christ, reflect Jesus and the bride of Christ to the watching world. Right? That's what happens here. Spirit-filled marriages reflect Christ and his bride, the church, to the watching world. So let me read our passage, and then I'll pray for us. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, here Paul is, is going back to Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Our Father, we give you praise for this day. Father, we give you praise for your word, where mysteries are revealed. Even here, Lord, we, we see this incredible passage that gives us a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. And through seeing Christ in the church, Lord, may that direct and inform our marriages. Father, we pray that we would be a Spirit-filled people. That we would walk by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh, but Lord, looking to glorify You in all things. In our families, in our workplace, throughout our weeks, Lord, we want to glorify You. We want to pray in glory to the name of Jesus that more people may see and come to know Him as Lord and Savior. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So like I said, I want to begin here with how Paul portrays Jesus in this passage. Yes, Paul begins with wives, submit to your own husbands, and then he moves to husbands, love your wives. But intertwined within this, and even to a greater extent, Paul is using this to give us a deeper understanding of Christ and His church. He is, he is revealing a mystery that the Spirit has revealed to him. So we want to set our eyes on Jesus this morning. And as we do that, I truly believe that our marriages, husbands, wives, we will bring greater glory to God. This is what Jesus promises the Spirit will do in John 16, 13, and 14. As we are Spirit-filled people being led by the Spirit, this is what Jesus says in John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. As Spirit-filled people, we are being taught by the Spirit, ultimately, to lead to the glory of Jesus. So as spirit-filled people, all of our relationships, marriages, families, workplace, we want to glorify Jesus. And the Spirit is who, who really dictates that and brings that to fruition in our lives. Our marriages, so as we look at this, Paul is going to deal with marriage. Our marriages are momentary they're momentary. Piper wrote a book called This Momentary Marriage, yet they point to a marriage that is eternal. 
So for the next few minutes, I want to lay us a foundation on which our marriages can be built. Verse 32 instructs on this foundation. Paul quotes from Genesis 2.24 in verse 31. And then he informs us that marriage refers to Christ in the church. He says this mystery is profound. Earlier in the spring of this year, we were preaching through chapter 3, and Paul describes another mystery. He describes this mystery of the Gentiles becoming heirs and people of the promise. And as you remember, when we talked through that mystery, we define mystery as that which has, had not been revealed. It was hidden, but now it's come to light. And that's what's happening here. The same is true for marriage. It's always from Genesis 2, marriage has always pointed to something greater, but it hadn't been revealed until Christ came. You see, in the Old Testament, we do see God pursuing Israel as a bride. And we're going to look at that a little bit in Ezekiel. But the true understanding didn't come until Christ made His bride, the church, holy and blameless. That's the work. That's what He's doing. And then in Revelation, we see this, this wedding feast of the Lamb with His bride. Genesis 2 to Revelation, there is a thread running that ultimately is pointing to Christ in the church. To have a right understanding of marriage, we've got to understand this. So we begin with the beauty of Jesus in this passage the beauty of Jesus. The first truth that we see of Jesus in this passage comes from verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. You see, Jesus is the head. In, verse, or in chapter 1, verse 22, Paul reminds us that the Father has put all things under his feet. And has given him as head over all things to the church. We saw this in 4, 15, and 16. We're to grow up into him who is the head into Christ. As head, Jesus loves the church. He's given himself for the church. He sanctifies the church. He cleanses the church. He provides for the church. The head guides the church. He is our head. He's the head of the body, the church. Jesus is also in verse 23. Paul says he is its Savior. Its Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who saves through his sacrificial death. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was Jesus' mission on earth. He is the Savior of the world. The perfect, spotless Lamb who sacrificed His life for ours. He's an incredible Savior. He's a Savior for the nations. Jesus is also, in verse 25, He's the lover. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus' love for the church is incredible. His love has been displayed 
at the cross. There's no greater love. There's no greater love than the cross. A man laid down his life for the world. He is the one who loves us. He's given himself for us, the church. He has redeemed us through this great love. He's the lover. And then he's also the sanctifier. Verses 26 and 27. Listen to what he has done for the church. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, Jesus sanctifies the church. He makes us holy. He sets us apart. And he does this having cleansed. Right? He's cleansed her with the washing of water, with the word. Cleansed with water, our sins. Our sins are washed away. In the word, the gospel does the heart work. Right? Our sins, our hearts are wicked and deceitful. Their heart is stone. Yet in Christ, this one who, yes, is the head, who is the Savior, who's the lover, He's also the one who sanctifies. He cleanses through the washing of water with the Word. This could be a a picture of of baptism. Right? It could be these, uh, just this, this, uh, this washing as well before a wedding. But the, the reality here, and we understand this, is that all of us are dirty. All of us are unclean. And we need to be washed. We need to be washed. We need to be made clean. And Jesus does this through His Word, through His life, His death, and His resurrection. If you're in Christ, you've been washed with water, with the Word. You've been made clean. Although you were were once filthy with sin, Jesus has made you white as snow. In Ezekiel 16, I'm going to turn there for just a few minutes. Ezekiel 16, 8-14. It seems like Ezekiel 16 is the background of some of this language in Ephesians 5 for Paul. So let's turn there. Ezekiel 16, 8-14. to 14. And you'll see, if you were to read the context of this passage, you'll see that, yes, God, in His great love for Israel, has made, has made them into an incredible bride, a beautiful bride, Yet they're still faithless. They've not been washed with water by the word. They don't know Jesus. But the picture here is one of beauty, and I think that's going to lead us into this picture that Paul paints of the bride, the church. Listen to Ezekiel 16, 8 to 14. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you are at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. 
Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. You see the, you see the similarities there? He just said that Jesus is the one that cleanses us with the water of the word. I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ear, ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. You see this picture here of a beautiful bride that God has fully adorned. Yet, if we were to continue reading... You see this bride turn from the bridegroom and continue to go back to this old way of life. Ezekiel 16 does paint us a picture that parallels with Ephesians 5. Yet, in Ephesians 5, something greater has happened to the bride, to the church. They've met Jesus. And through Jesus... Their lives have been radically changed. They've been adorned with things that do not fade, that things that you cannot lose. So as we continue to lay the foundation, the church here in Ephesians 5, by this sanctifier, by this beautiful Jesus, the church is presented in splendor, with no spot or wrinkle, no blemish, and holy. We are introduced to the splendor of the church, the splendor of the bride. Here in in this passage, Paul gives us really two pictures of the church. And one is Christ's body, which we've already been introduced to in, in Ephesians 4, that we are the body of Christ. We talked about this. A few weeks ago, right? Christ as the head, he gifts the body with different gifts for the building up of the body. You remember that in chapter 4? The church is the body of Christ. But here also we see that the church is the bride of Christ. We are Christ's bride. And the picture that we see of this bride should leave us amazed, especially as we examine our own lives, right? We're still living in this already not yet world. If we read this, we're going, yes, we are the church. We understand that Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. That's what we put our faith in as believers, That Jesus died for us that we may have life if we will turn from our sin and gaze upon Jesus. Believing in Him. Believing that He lived a perfect life. That He died a gruesome death for our sin. Yet, 
three days later he was raised from the dead. If we put our faith and our confidence and our hope in that, we will be saved. Yet as we read through this, it says that he's cleansed her, he sanctified her, that he might present her without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. This is the church, this is the, this is the state of which we should be living in. Right? This is who we are. At, at conversion, at salvation, we were sanctified. Yet, we're working it out. Right? We're sanctified, yet we're still being sanctified. We're still being made holy. But here, we see this picture of the church that will be presented to Christ. That should, that should leave us in awe. The splendor of the bride. Magnificent. No spot, no wrinkle. He says, or any such thing. So there's any other thing that, that, that spot or wrinkle. He says, any such thing. There's not any of that. That she might be holy and, wi- and without blemish. This is our future, church. This is our future. We will be presented one day to the bridegroom, to the head of the church, to the Savior, to the the greatest lover, the one who gave himself up for us, and to the one who sanctified us. So this is is Paul's theology here of, of, of marriage, his theology of Christ in the church in verse 32 that he says this is this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church christ and the church so with this foundation laid now that our time is gone with this foundation laid we can now be instructed as husbands and wives we can now be instructed as future husbands and wives. We can now be instructed as those who have been married but are no longer married. We can be instructed as those who will never be married because now we see ultimately what marriage is pointing to. If you're not married, this is the picture of marriage that you should desire and long for those to have in this church. Right? This is, this is what you should desire and long for if the, if, if the Lord provides a spouse. If you are widowed or divorced, this is something you should long for for those who are married in this church. That we, that we as King's Church would uphold, yes, this momentary marriage, but we would uphold it because it points to something far greater. And as husband, husbands and wives are living out Ephesians 5, 22-33, being spirit-filled, this gives a picture of Christ and the church to the watching world. This is what we want. This is what we desire. We want people to come to know Jesus, for He alone saves So Paul begins in verse 22 with spirit-filled wives. So wives, we're going to address you for a few moments. And you really don't have much here. Submit and respect. Like you get, you get like 15 words. 
uh, I'll let husbands or men, y'all, y'all can figure that out later. I, I think we know. I think we know why the wives are addressed a lot shorter than the men. So, but wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what we're going to do this week and next week with specifically the roles, the wives and the husbands, I want to look at kind of three areas. The role, the attitude, and the analogy. This is not, this is not original to me. I picked it up from uh, Boyce, I believe, a, a pastor in the 1900s. So the role, the attitude, and the analogy. So the role, the role here is joyful submission. Joyful submission. And you're going to see quite a few quotes here uh, because others have said it a lot better than I could ever say it. So I'm going to be reading some quotes here that hopefully will help us in understanding uh, spirit-filled wives and spirit-filled husbands. Joyful submission. The wife is called to submit to their husbands. We see this in Colossians 3. We see it also in 1 Peter Submission is simply defined by Wayne Grudem as a voluntary yielding in love. A voluntary yielding in love. Kostenberger, New Testament theologian, he says, while some may view submitting to one's husband's authority as something negative, right? Submission has a negative connotation many times. A more accurate way of looking at marital roles is to understand that wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership, right? Christ and the church. That's the analogy we've been looking at, Christ and the church. Christ gave himself for the church. The church now submits to Christ's loving leadership, his guidance. Piper's helpful here. He, he kind of categorizes what submission is not and what submission is. For the wives, it does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. That's not what submission is. It's not agreeing with everything your husband says. Husbands, you shouldn't want yes wives. You should want wives that challenge you. It does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. It's not what it is. God has gifted you with passions, with thoughts, with, with the ability to read his word and discern his word, you don't leave your brain or your will at the wedding altar. It does not mean avoiding every effort to change a husband. It doesn't mean avoiding every effort to change a husband. We're told that, wives, if you're married to an unbeliever, stay with him. Adorn the beauty of Jesus to him that he may be saved. Right? Like, that's the hope doesn't mean avoiding every effort to change a husband. It does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Christ is your ultimate head. Christ is your ultimate head. It does not mean that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength primarily through her husband. Yes, there should be that. There should be personal and spiritual strength coming from from living with a husband that loves Jesus. Yes, that should be it. But Jesus, or but your husband is not your hero. Jesus is. You should be getting your personal and spiritual strength ultimately and primarily through Christ Jesus. And it does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. It's not, it's not fearful submission. I guess in a, in a worldly sense, it's not fearful submission. 
that you're going to get hit, right? That you're going to get talked down to. Like, that's not why you submit. What submission is? Piper, again, he, he defines the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. The divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Ray Ortland, kind of thinking about this, he, he's helpful in times of disagreement. Naturally and, naturally and rightly, a wife will at times disagree with her husband. She will think for herself. She will ask questions, express her reservations, and help her husband see a problem from another angle of vision. This is good. This is right. Still, or her counsel will add value to her husband, and a wise husband will seek his wife's input. Still, in the end, the husband is uniquely responsible to bear the burden as head. And a Christian wife will always want to ask herself, how can I represent to my husband something of the church's joyful submission to Christ, our head? Listen to that question one last time. How can I represent to my husband something of the church's joyful submission to Christ, our head? You see, submission, a joyful submission glorifies Jesus. Paul says that you submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now as the church, in verse 24, submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the evidence of being a spirit-filled Christian. Submitting to your husband is one of the ways the spirit leads in marriage. So what, is, what does submission look like on a daily basis? Now I googled this. I was like, biblical submission in marriage. There is nothing out there that says point one, point two, point three, point four. I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is not helpful in preaching at all. Like, I, I wanted a list, you know? So, so I was just thinking about it. I asked Christy this morning. I was like, Christy, what, what does this look like? You know? A few things. Maybe a few pointers. A few applications. Praying for a heart of submission. Just praying. God, would you allow me to serve through this? God, would you allow me to be joyful in this? God, would you allow my husband to listen when I have a suggestion and not just, I just throw it out the window? I think another way is just looking for those opportunities to serve your husband, right? Let's, let's look for opportunities to serve. Let's, as Christ over the church, the church, we trust that Jesus, that Jesus has our best interest. So I think it starts with trusting that your husband has you and your family's best interest in decision-making. A spirit-filled husband will have your best interest in decision-making. One of the ways that I've seen this in my life played out over the last 13 years is Christy submitting to our decisions to move to different places. From moving to India on a whim. No, not on a whim. A uh, little bit more than a whim. Maybe a, two whims. So we, we decided to move to India. I know she thought, man, you're crazy, but I'll, I'll go. I'll go. To moving to Clemson 
when we had no idea what we were doing. We, we got invited to come to Clemson and do a, a residency, and we were like, sure, let's go. And then even two years ago, moving to Charlotte to plant King's Church, when Clemson was comfortable, Clemson was good, we had a, a great role at Cross Point, we had friends, we had uh, just incredible community. And then we moved to Charlotte, and God provides <laughs> incredibly. Spirit-filled wives. The role is joyful submission. The attitude is respect. If you see verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The attitude is respect. Earlier we saw this same word in 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the same word here. She respects, has reverence for her husband. The idea behind this verse is a recognition, a recognition of the God-given position as head. This is, this is not a result of the fall. If anything, it's a, it's a reorientation of creation. Where husband and wife were created, and they were created to complement one another. That's why we're complementarians. Husbands are to lead as the head, and the wife is to be a helper. That's, that, is, that is how God created it in Genesis 2. This is not a, as we already mentioned, this is not a slavish fear. But it's one of reverence and awe at God for, for giving this, this position in his creation. And then the analogy. So we see the role, joyful submission, the attitude is respect, and the analogy, that's where we began. The analogy, Christ, Christ and the church, husband and wife. Submission and respect flow from knowing Jesus as Lord. All Christians are called to submit to the Lord Jesus. The husband is head as Christ is the head of the body. The wife is the body as the church is the body. The wife displays, this is the beauty of this, the wife displays the beauty of the bride to the world when she submits and respects her husband. The church submits to Christ. He is our authority, the one who saved us, the one who's, who's, who uh, has called us to die to self and live to him. And we're called to listen to his words and obey them. As the church does this, they begin to shine brighter and brighter to a watching world. And I believe as wives, from this text, as wives joyfully submit to their husbands, they will point to something far greater than just momentary marriage. They will point to the final marriage, the ultimate marriage between Jesus and the church. You see, God instituted marriage in Genesis 2, but Paul here allows us to see this mystery that is profound, that marriage is pointing to Jesus and the church. And through that, through that, we want to call people in to this marriage. Come and experience the Savior, this beautiful Jesus. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we give you praise for this day. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you for just your love towards us in Christ. Thank you that as the church, um, we are cleansed, we are sanctified, and one day we will be presented to Jesus without spot or wrinkle or blemish. It's in his name we pray. Amen.